BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, as spring unfolds, the warmer breezes, guess what? It is time to embrace the comfort of your own backyard, and I have found a game changer for your home oasis. It's the Michael Phelps Swim Spa by Master Spas. Now, this is the ultimate two-for-one deal. You get a luxurious hot tub that meets an elite exercise pool that you'll love. This is not just relaxation. It is a first-class experience in the privacy of your own space. Just go to masterspas.com, enter the promo code Hannity in the upper right-hand corner for up to $1,000 off your Master Spa. Exercise, relax, recover with the only hot tub and swim spa brand that I trust. That's masterspas.com. Hey, if you're looking for a firearm for home defense or something for shooting sports or hunting, you can't do better than a rifle or a shotgun from our friends at Henry Repeating Arms. Now, they have more than 200 models that you can choose from in a wide variety of calibers and finishes, all made in America, and the finest craftsmanship I've ever seen. Henry's are reliable, they're affordable, and they're backed with their lifetime satisfaction guarantee. Just visit HenryUSA.com. You get to order their free catalog with free decals, and you're going to love this company. This is the Sean Hannity Show, and uh, you may not be able to tell because Sean and I sound so much alike, but uh, this is Louis Gomert. It's not Sean today, and I am just always honored that Sean would have me sit in and guest host for him. We have an incredible show today, and if you want to comment at any time, ask questions, and we're going to have some guests you're going to want to ask questions of, or if my... uh, English teacher mother were still alive, she would say you can't end that sentence with a preposition. So there will be things of which you will want to ask questions or make comments. To do that, you dial 800-941-SEAN. That's 800-941, and if you don't know how to spell Sean, it's 7326, 800-941-7326. So welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. This is Louis Gomert, and... Uh, I just love doing this. Some people say, why would you do this? You're a member of Congress. For heaven's sake, one of the jobs of members of Congress is to get the word out on what's going on. And there is no better place. Heck, Sean's up over 600 affiliate radio stations. That's just fantastic. But, uh, you know, something we've been dealing with, uh, and and I I believe, I think you believe that – one of the biggest promises that helped get Donald Trump elected to be president, Donald Trump, was uh, a wall. And we didn't need the wall and still don't need the wall, 2,000 miles, but there are places we need it. And as uh, 
our Secretary of Homeland Security, Kirsten Nielsen, had said, uh, testifying for our committee a couple of weeks ago, she said every time there is a wall that's put up anywhere, it eliminates 95-plus percent of uh, illegal immigration in that area. That, it, it just makes sense. And so, you know, we've been dealing with all this name calling from most of people that that do the name calling and and talk about how horrendous the idea of a wall is. They got walls around their own houses. Uh, some live in gated communities and whatnot. Uh, it's kind of like those that say uh, we want to get rid of all guns. Well, all except for uh, my personal bodyguards, that kind of thing. But uh, uh Jason, why don't you play um, my good friend, uh, Mr. Gutierrez, talking to the Secretary of Homeland Security. Uh, I I don't think it'll be in in this segment, but I mean, he called her all kinds of vile things. But Jason, let's, let's hear this. During Christmas, a time in which we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, a Jesus Christ who had to flee for his life with Mary and Joseph. Thank God there wasn't a wall that stopped him from seeking refuge in Egypt. Thank God that wall wasn't there. And thank God there wasn't an administration like this or he would have too have perished on the 28th, on the day of innocence, when Herod ordered the murder of every child under two years of age. Maybe I haven't gone a lot to Bible school, but I know that part. Thank God. Shame on everybody that separates children and allows them to stay at the other side of the border, fearing death, fearing hunger, fearing sickness. Shame on us for wearing our badge of Christianity during Christmas and allow the secretary to come here and lie. Wow. Uh, He called her a liar. He called her more all kinds of things. But anyway, she kept her cool, and I was proud of her for doing that. but that really got me. You know, I am a Christian, and, uh, you know, the the way people bring up Jesus and Christianity, I mean, there was somebody on MSNBC just recently that, that asked the question, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I was thrilled to have somebody on MSNBC asking WWJD, Wow, that's that's a start. We're we're going in the right direction when MSNBC would even bother to ask that question. But the hyperbole just gone through the roof. It, anyway, it was hard to sit and listen to the bludgeoning that Secretary Nielsen got. And so um, I had to follow up on this thing of uh, Jesus perishing because. Uh, uh, if Republicans and Trump administration had been in Egypt, they would have had a wall. So uh, this is what I, I had to come back and ask the secretary. You mentioned that asylum is actually only found to be appropriate in about 10 percent. Is that right? Of the people that claim asylum. Yes, sir. And for my colleague who left, um, if Mary and Joseph were trying to come into the United States under the situation that existed and King Herod was trying to kill everybody under two, uh, wouldn't they be eligible for asylum in the United States? Yes. Yeah. So uh, he can scratch that from his concerns. They'd get into the United States. Yeah. So (laughs) 
I just couldn't resist. I mean, it sounded good. Oh, my gosh. You know, Jesus would be perishing if the Trump administration had been in Egypt. Well, no, not so much. We could have a wall across the entire southern border, and if Mary and Joseph brought their uh, young baby and they were fleeing a country where the leader was killing off the babies, uh, you betcha that's exactly what asylum is for. And it's not for uh, 90% or so of those who come to our border, and especially when Mexico says, hey, you can stop here, you won't be persecuted, we'll help you get a job. Uh, you cannot say no to those and then be entitled legally to asylum in the United States. Um, but then we get to the House floor, and once again, it's just all this vitriol about how horrendous a wall would be. How it, It's just terrible. Uh, it, and I'm not going to have you listen to the whole thing, but just uh, Jason edited a little clip yeah, you, you need to hear this part anyway. Mr. Speaker, Democrats would prefer to get our work done instead of kicking the can down the road. However, it appears that the only thing that seemed possible for us to accomplish before adjourning for the holidays was to pass the CR until February 8th that the Senate passed unanimously last night. However, after another Twitter tantrum, House Republicans are once again catering to Trump's worst impulses with this terrible bill. This bill wastes billions of taxpayer dollars, fails to fully address the urgent needs of disaster victims, and will fail in the Senate. It is a waste of time for us to consider it. Our country faces many pressing needs, and there is simply no reason to waste $5.7 billion on President Trump's immoral, unnecessary, irresponsible wall. Yeah, immoral wall? Did you you guys know that walls could be immoral? How dare you all do such immoral things? Actually, walls are, are tools, and they are tools that can help uh, enforce the law. And uh, actually, I, I was thinking about this, you know, as a former uh, prosecutor, civil trial lawyer, judge, felony judge, chief justice, you know, I, one of the things we deal with time to time uh, is something called an attractive nuisance. And that is the legal doctrine under which if, and, and the most common example is if you have a swimming pool and a child is attracted to that, we know they would be attracted to a pool that got water. If you don't have a fence up and a child wanders in and falls in the pool and drowns, you're going to get sued and you are actually going to be held liable uh, in most of the situations. So we know that children are being um, drawn into the United States. Uh, so just it wouldn't it be interesting if there was a way to hold people in America, um, you know, fiscally liable for not putting up a fence or a wall in order to protect the children from being drawn into a country where they die, where they go across desert, or or they get drawn into sex trafficking or drug trafficking. Uh, uh, gee, if we had a wall, if we had a fence, uh, we could save a lot of lives. But there is just so much hypocrisy. It, it is just unbelievable. But I also got to come back to this. You know, with all this, this baloney thrown around about immorality, an immoral wall. I come back to what uh, 
John Adams said in 1797 as our second president, his quote was, this constitution is intended for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the governing of any other. That was true then. It's still true. If you are not going to have a majority of the people in the United States who are moral, who are religious people, and as Adams believed when he said religious, that that meant that you know the country had biblical underpinnings uh, to make our self-government work. And if we're not going to have that, then really the Constitution doesn't work. You can't have freedom of speech, assembly, freedom of religion. You certainly can't have guns for anyone but uh, Democrats' bodyguards when we've ceased to be a moral and religious nation recognizing our, our biblical basis for so much for most of our country's history. So anyway, we have our work cut out for us, and I see that uh, we got Todd from Georgia, 26-year Army vet. Uh, Todd, welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. This is Louis Gohmert. Uh What's your yes, comment about uh, our border? Yes, sir. Thank you for uh, having my call. One, sure. I just wanted to say uh, it's incredible, like say, that people don't realize the issues that we have and the, the complexity with the, you know, the time that I was able to serve with the Border Patrol while I was in the Army down there for a short period of time. We were on a 35-mile uh, sector of the border, and it was nonstop traffic coming across. Yeah. They identify them, put them back across. And the second part, the drugs are, the, are the, uh, you know, obviously an issue, too. Uh, they had a Suburban that came across, uh, had full of marijuana, full of dope. The only part that was empty was a driver's seat. And the guy got out of the vehicle, ran back across the river, uh, the agents went down on the on the vehicle, and they found out later through an informant that it was just diversion for forty six pounds of coke that came across at the same time down the river. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, uh, it, exactly. And uh, we're going to have Tom Fitton on the show from Judicial Watch here shortly. But uh, it is a huge problem, and we are funding the corruption in Mexico. What kind of caring people refuse to stop the? flow of money to the drug cartels how can you say that you're a caring person when we're not doing everything we can to defund the drug cartels i've been down there many times myself todd and we've seen it and by the way thank you for your 26 years uh, army active duty um I only had four years on active duty at some place called fort benning georgia but are very grateful for your service and, folks, I, I just say we've got to take a break, but please come back. We've got an incredible show, some people you need to hear, and uh, we'll look forward to getting your questions and your comments all along the way, 800-941-7326. This is Sean Hannity's show. This is Louis Gomer. We'll be right back. One thing that is not political, it's smoking. That's about people. And there are 34 million Americans now that smoke. But for many, there's not been a clear alternative. Juul, for me, has been a game changer. I watch people all the time. They go outside in the middle of the freezing winter just to have their smoke. You don't have to do that anymore because of Juul. Now, people don't have to worry about the smell on your hands. Juul was specifically designed by smokers for smokers to be a satisfying alternative it's a clean technology. Juul has no ash, no odor, no mess. 
If you're one of those 34 million adults who do smoke, you now know there's an alternative to cigarettes and cigars. Just go to Juul, J-U-U-L dot com slash Switch America. That's J-U-U-L dot com slash Switch America. Now, this product does contain nicotine, and nicotine is an addictive chemical. But just go to Juul, J-U-U-L dot com slash Switch America. This is the Sean Hannity Show. This is Louis Gomer sitting in. Uh, let's go to Greg in Ohio. You have an observation about walls? Hey, Louis. I just wanted to say thank you for letting me on your show and oh. also for being on the uh, Sean Hannity Show. It's a very special, oh, it's, uh, a very special thing to me. It is to me, too. Thank you. So what's your observation hey, um, about walls? Well, I'm I'm a retired pastor, and I just wanted to share with the gentleman who apologized for not being a theology student, and I <laughs> uh, wanted to share with the uh, person who was uh, considering a wall immoral. Uh, probably they could find that out if they read their Bible. They could find out Jesus said, I am the door. And also... Um, <clears throat> If they would read in the book of Revelation, they would find that there are walls in heaven, and uh, strangely enough, and uh, there is a separation between heaven and hell. Hmm. So, you know, Randy Weber, congressman from Houston area, was telling me he saw a bumper sticker that says, heaven has walls and gates and a strict immigration policy. Uh, hell has no walls, no immigration policy. Everybody's free to come. So uh, it is a bit theological there. But thank you so much uh, for, for that observation and for your commitment to helping spread the truth. Thank you, Greg. I really appreciate it. Let's go quickly. Just got a minute. Let's go to Alex in New Jersey. Alex, welcome to the Sean Andrews Show. Congressman Gomer, thank you so much. Uh, big fan of yours. I'd like to thank you for all you do in the conservative cause and, of course, in the uh, uh, immigration. Um, I, I just have to really commend you and other um, Republicans on the committee who can actually sit there and not come out of the side of their necks listening to someone like a Gutierrez lecturing us on morality of all things. Mm. Um, what can we do um, as congressmen uh, and as conservatives here to push back against hypocrisy? I mean, I know the Democrats love placards. Um, is mm-hmm. it possible for, for um, the Republican um, members on the committees to, uh, you know, show the tapes and play the tapes of these Republicans like Schumer, Pelosi, Clinton, mm-hmm. and Obama, who were begging for walls and talking about illegal yeah. aliens and how they, we cannot have it? Well, Alex, that's the thing. You know, it's, uh, well, the old adage is democracy ensures people are governed no better than they deserve. It bothers you. That tells me a lot about you. But when Americans don't care enough to be upset over the hypocrisy, we got trouble. Well, thank you for listening to Sean's show. This is Louis Gomert. We're going to be back with Tom Fitton from Judicial Watch. This is the Sean Hannity Show. This is Louis Gomert uh, sitting in for Sean today. Uh, honored to be doing so, and I'm also honored to have a very dear friend, a great American, uh, as Sean would like to say, um, 
Tom Fitton, he's a New York Times best-selling author of The Corruption Chronicles and Clean House, Exposing Our Government Secrets and Lies. He's the president of Judicial Watch, and I'm telling you, no one has done more to root out um, corruption and government fraud, at really digging down and getting more information than really any congressional committee, House or Senate. They dig deep. They file uh, Freedom of Information Act requests. They go to court when they get told no. They go to court and they get a yes. Uh, in Congress, it seems like, uh, you know, we, uh, especially in the House, we ask for things, we don't get them, and we say, oh, gee, well, I guess there's nothing to be done. Well, there is something to be done, and I'm grateful that Tom Fitton does it, even if uh, Congress doesn't. Tom Fitton, welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. Glad to have you on. Hey, Louis Gormer, thanks for having me. I appreciate that gracious introduction. Well, you know I wouldn't say it if I didn't mean it, if I didn't believe <laughs> it. <laughs> Sometimes saying things I believe gets me in trouble, but I still, that's the way it is. And that's one of the things I love about Judicial Watch. You know, you've gone after, um, investigated the Clinton administration, Bush administration, Obama administration, and uh, you're the group that actually helped dig out information that um, uh, was used uh, in the Bill Clinton impeachment proceedings. Uh, And also you took the Bush White House secrecy all the way up to the Supreme Court. So you you do amazing work, and uh, you've actually done a great deal of digging. I, it appeared that you got a great deal more information regarding Benghazi, for example, than uh, any congressional committee did. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, yes, and uh, we've got the smoking gun documents that led the creation to the creation of the Benghazi Select Committee, and indirectly... Uh, you know, our questions about what was going on at Benghazi led to the State Department disclosing finally the fact they had all these Clinton emails they've been hiding for for years from the American people and from Congress. Yeah, and and actually, you had a president who had said he didn't even know about her private email, and then then it turned out he had emailed the private email using a pseudonym. Uh, which uh, use of pseudonym would seem like maybe it uh, is an indication he knew something wasn't right, so he didn't use his real name. But uh, you know, with and and you've got a book coming out, don't you? Oh no, I don't have a oh, book okay. coming out. But you you no, did no. have the Corruption Chronicles and and Clean House, but uh, I tell you, you guys continue going after records that should be made available to American citizens. Why don't you tell us some of the things you you guys are doing these days at Judicial Watch? Well, we're still battling on Clinton emails. We had a federal court a few weeks ago, Judge Royce Lamberth, who's out of Texas as well. He uh, ruled that Hillary Clinton's email system was one of the gravest offenses to modern <laughs> transparency. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we authorized discovery. So we're going to be taking more evidence on the Clinton email scandal And we're right in the thick of it on these deep state attacks on President Trump, the effort to overthrow the presidency, 30-plus Freedom of Information Act lawsuits. Uh, We received the FISA warrant applications. We received the documents showing that Christopher Steele, the Clinton spy, was getting paid by the FBI and then presumably cut off, but not really cut off because he started meeting with the Justice Department on the sly through Bruce Orr. 
uh, all this is coming out because of Judicial Watch, not congressional activity. And, and it just shows you that as the Democrats take control of Congress, or at least the House, our independent watchdog work is going to be even more important than ever, uh, because obviously the Democrats are going to have very different priorities than even the weak-willed Republican leadership that you had to contend with. <laughs> well, and, and when you look at, uh, you know, Mueller, for example, in this special counsel job, uh, uh, um, it's incredible what Mueller has gotten away with. And and actually, in conjunction with Sean, I, I would, had been going back and forth with Sean uh, earlier la- this year that, gee, you know, Mueller has, uh, I mean, I, I was going to do an op-ed on just uh, how atrocious Mueller's background of injustice was and vindictiveness and meanness not justice, but just real vindictiveness. And I'd I, I pointed out, gee, you know, normally papers don't want to publish anything more than like 800 to 1,000 words top. And, and I'd blown by that. And Sean had just indicated, look, write whatever, and then we'll, we'll put it out uh, through the Internet from my website. So that's what we did. And it was about 40 ages, 48 pages of just uh, the way this guy, he didn't care about people being innocent or guilty. If he had it in for somebody, he went after him. And, and actually, Eric Holder had pointed out sometime back that uh, he he had known Mueller for, what did he say, 20 or 30 years. And that, uh, you know, in his opinion, he wasn't going to stop until he got something basically to indict um president trump for but i think when the history is written of this Mueller special counsel group including weissman and of course they were answering to rosenstein all of whom were involved in the real russia scandal where they allowed russia to get away with buying our or end up with our uranium but uh i think it is going to be written Mueller, mccabe struck so many others that uh, my opinion, they're going to end up being written up as the fraudsters who attempted a soft coup d'etat, and uh, maybe I hope that they will write it was unsuccessful, but the jury's still out on that. Uh, d- do you recall ever seeing anything or reading about anything in history that was as much of an effort to oust a sitting president using legal process? Absolutely not. Uh, During the Johnson administration in the 19th century, it was Mm -hmm. a fight over the appointment power of the presidency and the the ending of the Civil War and the fights over that that led to the impeachment of Andrew Johnson. That was a a straight political fight. Yep, yep, you're Uh, right. You know, Nixon, you know, there were abuses of office in, with Nixon, and the Democrats held Nixon to a standard they refused to hold Johnson to, for instance. Uh, but but Nixon, uh, you know, d- dug his own grave uh, in terms of his misconduct. Here they concocted a theory of the case, which is that Russia was uh, conspiring with Trump, and it was a theory generated as a res- from the Clinton campaign. Right, right. And they used it as a pretext to spy on Trump. There's nothing to compare with uh, that in our American history in terms of the abuses of power, the various agencies, all of which were on, you know, all hands on deck for the Obama administration. Yeah. NSA, CIA, FBI, DOJ, 
to target the Trump team. And it continued into his administration, incredibly, yep. with the apex of the Mueller investigation. Yeah, well, Tom Fitton, Judicial Watch, uh, you, you've got such great experience. You've seen these things, and you're right about the Andrew Johnson impeachment. It was uh, political. But uh, in this case, it is extraordinary. And the more we found out about Steele, the MI, former MI6 guy, you know, you got Comey and all these other people that were verifying the validity of uh, this information they presented to a ju- judge, uh, got four different warrants. And then we find out, actually, I was shocked to find out Steele hadn't been to Russia in many years he didn't do this research. He he had others doing it for it. We don't know if it's second, third, fourth, fifth hand hearsay. Uh, we don't know if people at the bottom of it may have been Russian actors uh, acting on behalf of Putin, uh, because obviously they want to cause as much uh, disarray in the United States as possible. Uh, so, and, and then we find out in a hearing two or three weeks ago that, gee, uh, Russia only <laughs> spent $4,700 trying to manipulate the election using the, the U.S. Internet. It's extraordinary. But how do you see this playing out? I, I told Harris Faulkner last summer when people were saying, oh, yeah, Mueller's going to be done by September. I was going, nope, he's not going to be through by September. He's going to drag this out past the election. He's going to drag it out as long as he can, because as long as he's doing this, uh, limitations are, are running on any crimes that he and Weissman and others, Rosenstein, others might have committed. So, well, how do you see it playing out, Tom? I, I don't see them pulling back. I think at best there'll be there'll be an interim report, which will uh, be grist for the impeachment mill for their allies in the Democratic-controlled House. And I think Mueller's team sees him, sees themselves as impeachment counsel for the House, and they're going to continue to be insist on being around uh, to help the Democrats to try to remove the president. Uh, you you uh, able to t- take a call with us? Sure. All right, let's hear from Lee in California. Lee, welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. You've got Louis Gomert and Tom Fitton. Thanks, Congressman Gohart. I appreciate your support. Oh, it's just Louie, but thanks. And my question would be, under the circumstances, with as long as it's gone on, why hasn't or why can't Robert Mueller be charged with waste, fraud, and abuse? Tom, what are your thoughts? Uh, because Mueller is the, da- is the tail wagging the Justice Department. So all, any misconduct by the Mueller operation, any oversight by the Mueller operation is, uh, is lacking. And, you know, for all the noise about the FISA warrants and everything, uh, I, I've been disappointed that, you know, absent people like Louis Gomert, uh, few in Congress have been willing to provide oversight of Mueller and take him on more directly and his gargantuan operation on more directly. And uh, he's someone who is operating beyond all constitutional scope, authority, and guidance, and it's something that needs to change, and that's what we aim to do through our own litigation. Yeah, but he, he is acting within this extraordinary scope that Rosenstein has given him basically anything you want to do, and as long as he's acting under the color of federal law, then uh, he can't be charged. But there are things he could be charged with, and I would sure like to see a special counsel go digging into uh, 
that uh, Russia uranium investigation and how they silenced everybody so that, uh, you know, the sale could go through and uh, that resulted in Hillary getting $145 million for the, for the um, uh, Clinton Foundation. We got to take a break. Uh, Tom, can you come back on the other side? Can you hold on sure. with us? All right, this is the Sean Hannity Show. Louis Gomer, be right back with Tom Fitton, head of Judicial Watch. Call Sean, uh, well, 800-941-SEAN, and we'll be right back. The Sean Hannity Show, Louis Gomert sitting in for Sean, and I have with me Judicial Watch's president, Tom Fitton. And uh, Tom, you know, uh, regarding Hillary Clinton's emails, the president then, Obama, had said, oh, well, there was no evidence, uh, intent to anything inappropriate but actually james carville gave us evidence of intent he knows the clintons well and he said basically that uh she didn't want louis gomert rifling through her emails and i guarantee you uh i and others would have but uh let's take a call quickly from james from georgia james welcome to the sean handy show you got louis gomert and tom fitton yeah thank you very much louis pleasure to talk with both of you Look, I, I love Sean's show, but I'm at wit's end with all this. You know, all across this nation tomorrow, people are going to be in court paying fines from everything from running a stop sign to theft or possibly even going to prison for worse crimes. Now, the thing that's frustrating me the most, when are these people going to be held accountable? I, I want to see James Comey in handcuffs. There was a time in this nation's history Someone like Peter Strzok would have been taken outside and shot in the face for, mm. for attempting to usurp the will of the American people. Well, there were lies. There were all kinds of things that could lead to uh, criminal charges. And uh, I don't think uh, we can close the book on that yet. But, James, let me tell you, I don't think you will find two people that are more frustrated with the very thing that you pointed out than Tom Fitton and Louis Gohmert, uh, and there'll be others on the show the same way. We are as uh, probably more upset than you are, and a lot of the reason is we didn't have Republican leaders who would stand up and take a a, a position, and it has really hurt us. What what do you think, Tom? Well, you know, look, no, there, there's no time when someone would have been taken out and been shot in the face. It, look, Peter Strzok may have committed crimes. He needs to be investigated seriously by the Justice Department. That's not being done. Uh, I don't want to guarantee a prosecution. This is the rule of law here. But I want serious investigations that people can have confidence in. And your caller is highlighting the fact that uh, regular people are subject to serious investigations when there's obvious crimes they're often prosecuted and, and convicted. And that's not the case for powerful people too often here in Washington, yeah. D.C., especially if they're in, in key positions in law enforcement, right. like in the FBI right. and Justice Department. That's so true. Well, we got to take a hard break, but uh, we're going to keep pushing to hold them accountable. Thank you for listening. Come on back. Sean Hannity Show. Louis Gomer sitting in. Thank you, Tom Fitton. This is the Sean Hannity Show. This is Louis Gomert sitting in for my dear brother, Sean Hannity. Just love that guy. Uh, welcome. And if you have calls, questions, comments, uh, call 800-941-SEAN. That's 800-941-7326. And by the way, during, during the last half hour, I appreciate the uh, 
it, just the vim and vigor of our callers, but but uh, uh, there's a teachable moment here. One said, uh, gee, there was a time when somebody lie like that, you'd take them out shoot them in the face. And actually, uh, I don't believe as a historian I ever recall any time when that was ever legal. Uh, I do believe in the death penalty, but um, I've spent my uh, adult life making sure that nothing was done on behalf of the government uh, of that nature unless there was due process. It may shock you guys because most of you, or hopefully a lot of you know how conservative I am. Uh, I have pronounced two death penalties, but uh, as an attorney, I got uh, court-appointed to appeal a capital murder conviction, and as I told our highest court in Texas, look, I'm not some... (laughs) weak-kneed guy coming in here that's totally against the death penalty. It, I think there are cases where it's appropriate, and of course not ever for just lying, but, um, but as I told them, but before you can ever use an extraordinary measure like that, you've got to make sure there's due process, and as I told them, in this case it didn't happen, and that's why this case must be reversed. And I don't know how many members of Congress has ever had a death penalty sentence reversed, but uh, I did. So due process is still important. Doesn't matter who you are. Uh, this is America, and uh, thank goodness for that. It's still a little longer now. I'm excited to have two of my dear friends uh, coming on the show, both Congress members. Uh, Morgan Griffith is uh, ver- elected Congress from Virginia's ninth district. And Scott Perry, also a general uh, in our uh, Army, um, which he may be retiring from that soon, but uh, also from Pennsylvania, but the 4th District. And uh, they're here to talk about uh, the need to secure the border and the funding for the wall and current state of things in Congress. If you got a question or comment, uh, 800-941-7326. Uh, and by the way, we have got some tweets here from President uh, Trump. He says, Border Patrol agents want the wall, and I can verify that. I've been down there too many times, talked to them too often. Democrats say they don't want the wall, even though they know it really is needed, and they don't want ICE. They don't have much to campaign on, do they? An open southern border and the large-scale crime that comes with such stupidity. Well, there's a guy that calls it like he sees it. That's something I like. Uh, but welcome to the Sean Hannity Show, uh, my dear friends Morgan Griffith and Scott Perry. Not only are they good friends, but they're both brilliant. And Morgan Griffith, I got to say, after we lost the majority in 2006, um, I started carrying around the rules of the House. And uh, I felt like, gosh, uh, it struck me. I've never been in a courtroom where I didn't know all the rules of the court. And I didn't know all the rules because so many of them are not actually rules. But Morgan Griffith has dug into the rules. And as uh, he's really the rules advisor to the Freedom Caucus. And when somebody has a question, they can go to the parliamentarian or they can go to Morgan. And Scott Perry, God bless him, he feels the way uh, we do and those that have called in um, you know there's just so much injustice we got to stand up against and he's never had a problem with doing that so welcome to Sean Hannity show Morgan Griffiths Scott Perry glad to have you here Morgan let me start with you what could we do to get the wall funded 
Well, I, you know, there's a lot of things we could do. It, unfortunately, I'm hearing, Louie, that uh, the House has said they don't expect any votes, and the Senate is now expected to say they're going to punt until uh, the new Congress comes in. I hope that's not true because there are things we could do. Of course, the easiest one would be for the Senate to revise its rules in cases like this and get rid of the modern filibuster rule, which didn't come about until the 1970s, go back to the historic rule where you actually have to stand in the well of the Senate and argue your case. Doesn't that and make that sense? So I love that. I mean, that was, you know, Jimmy Stewart, Mr. Smith goes yeah. to Washington. You want to take the time? you got to stand there and debate. We're not just going to have a gentleman's agreement. You can say you're going to filibuster and say, oh, well, we'll all go home. Right. And another, uh, another thing they could do is we could uh, use reconciliation. Now, the time is running low on that. But certainly if we had started earlier, even last week, and theoretically we could do it if we started today, but it doesn't look like leadership in the Senate wants us to go in that direction. But we could um, we could do it. Uh, the time is well, Morgan, explain. I'm sure, a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of yeah. people hear the term reconciliation, and it doesn't make sense. Uh, what was he talking about? Sure. But it does get around the requirement in the Senate, the self-imposed requirement of 50, 51 votes, that they get 60 votes in order to begin or end debate. But so explain reconciliation. What could be done through that so-called process to avoid having to get 60 votes? Well, what happens is we send a budget over with instructions that they work towards uh, money for the wall, and then uh, we would then instruct them to reconcile our budget with the Senate budget and that only requires a, uh, a mere majority. It doesn't require the 60 votes to get through the debate. And that moves the process along a lot faster. Uh, the Senate could do that if, if we were all uh, willing to work through the weekend. But it doesn't appear that the Senate leadership is willing to uh, move that way. I think the House would if the Senate said we were willing to move that way. I know that the members of the House caucus, the Republican caucus, would do so. Based on that strong vote, Nancy Pelosi said we couldn't get the vote. Yep. Uh, to pass the the five billion for the wall, and uh, we we got it, and I think we had about a thirty vote margin. Yep, yep. Well, Scott, uh, I mean, you're Pennsylvania. You had a close race this last time. I was shocked that uh, people didn't understand just how important you are to the U.S. Congress. But what are you hearing from folks uh, about the wall? Well, Louie, thanks so much for uh, having me and Morgan on, and this great audience that Sean has, and, and for being Louis Gomer, the guy that we all look up to, stands up all the time, anytime, every time against injustice. And, and I tell you, what I'm hearing, whether I was in the post office, you know, uh, on Christmas Eve, and then I went to a gas station. Uh, I went to a couple different places. My wife kept on waiting for me to get home. I told her I would just be a few minutes, but every single place I went, People, you know, of course, they recognize me. I'm their member of Congress, and we just had a, a pretty high-profile race here in Pennsylvania for the seat. And uh, the, almost every single person said to me, when are we going to build the wall? you got to build the wall. we got to secure <laughs> the border. We can't have these yeah. people coming in. we got people in, Louie, you know this, there's fentanyl coming from China across the southern border, up yep. 700 seizures, up 750% uh, since the beginning of the year. That stuff is killing a person in each one of my counties, uh, every single day on overdose. And, and, and we know that uh, the border security that the president's talking about, a physical barrier, works. In the places that it's been tried, whether it's been San Diego and, uh, or, or yeah. Israel, whether it's yeah. been in this country or other countries, we see 
the infiltration of people coming across a physical barrier when you have one drop by 90 or more percent. So when, when the liberals say that it doesn't work, I, I have no idea where they're getting their information. Uh, you know, the, the Vatican has a wall around it, and as you know, uh, uh, Louis, very well, uh, President, former President Obama's new home in Washington, D.C. has a, a physical barrier, a wall, a fence around it. Because, and you know why that has it. It's because it works. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, I don't understand the tactic of the Democrat. I kind of did understand it initially when, uh, when soon-to-be Speaker Pelosi said, you don't have the votes, so we're not going to do this. But once we produced the votes, it seemed to me that if, if she were smart about this tactically, she would say, well, you do this now, vote the way you want to, you do your wall funding or whatever, and we can all vote no. All you Republicans will vote yes, and I won't have to deal with it in my speaker's race. But I'm going to tell you, this president, is he, he is steadfast for the America, America's border security, and he's going to stand firm, I think, on this thing. And sooner or later, she, he's going to crack them, and, and, and yep. they're going to have to vote for some kind of border security because this president knows that our country has been left bare, has been laid bare, uh, Louis, you know this well. I mean, we're hearing the reports just this week about people being dropped off by the hundreds at the bus station or what have you, and now they're just in the country. You don't know who they are. You don't yep. know where they're going. You don't know their criminal backgrounds, if they have them or not. You don't know any of that stuff. And well, here I, they are. And yeah, and, uh, and, and, and Ms. Pelosi's going to have to deal with that. Well, we've all heard people, and I know it bothers you like it does me, comparing our desire for a wall where we need it uh, to the Iron Curtain. Morgan, have you heard people in your district uh, make that comparison, or is everybody smart enough to understand one keeps people in, forcing them to totalitarianism, and the other just tries to protect what's there from people that would do damage to it? Uh, well, you do have a few people that say things like that, and, and they don't understand that, that look, we all want to have those people that want to share in the American dream to have an opportunity to come here if they want to come here and work hard. But the first act in sharing that American dream is not to break our laws. And if we want to talk about uh, making our laws better and easier for people to get into the country, that's fine. But first, let's secure our borders and make sure that we don't have a flood coming across the border of people that we don't want, people, as yep. Scott said, who are bringing drugs, who are doing illegal trafficking, bringing folks across for forced labor, sex uh, slaves, etc. It's just not right, and we've got to do this. And the president, even if we don't get it done uh, and get the government uh, moving forward with the money in the budget for the wall, mm -hmm. the president has the veto power. So if the Democrats think that somehow next week it's going to change things, it's not because the president uh, has the, the, the veto power, and the House will not override the president on wall money. Well, we've just got a minute, but let's take a question from uh, Glenn in San Antonio. Welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. You're on with Louis Gomer, Morgan Griffith, and Scott Perry. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I, I, I'm just a little confused on the bill that we passed in the Congress last week, and then it moved over to the Senate, and the Senate voted to move that bill forward, which had the uh Funding for the wall as well as disaster relief in it. it is that bill, the, the House bill, is it dead when the new Congress is sworn in January the 3rd, or is it still alive to where the Senate can still vote on it? Morgan? 
No, it's it's dead. Once you go to a new Congress, all bills from the previous Congress are, are then dead. So we'd have to start over. But the Democrats have to understand they've still got to get something that's agreeable to the president because he will veto and we will support his veto if they don't have the wall money in there. And and they would have to get a lot of Republicans in order to override the veto. And That is correct. I, I just don't think they would have those votes. Well, folks, uh, Morgan, Scott, can you all hang on through the break? I yes, sure can. All right. We'll be right back with more of the Sean Hannity Show. Uh, call in, 800-941-7326. Louis Gomert with members of Congress Morgan Griffith and Scott Perry. Uh, Morgan's a little quieter. Scott and I get out there pretty pretty loudly sometimes expressing our, our position. But, Morgan, I wanted people to hear you. I mean, as smart as you are and as principled as you are, uh, what do you think we where we just got a couple of minutes where where do you think we should go now as Republicans going into the minority over the wall and the spending? Well, on the wall, we have to uh, we have to back up the president when he vetoes the uh, the Democrat uh, bill. If it doesn't have wall money in it, then we'll have to we'll have to back up the president's veto, and I think we can do that. Other than that, we will have to make sure that we try to hold them in check and aggressively. Uh, pursue, uh, you know, the bills that they're putting forward and try to put friendly amendments on it and try to make them better and then just fight like crazy and get the word out to the American people because that's our job as the loyal opposition, recognizing they won the election. We're not going to try to turn it over as they've done with the presidential election. Well, but we also have a job to do for our constituents, and yep. our constituents said don't let them do these things to America. That's right. And I remember when we went into the minority, you guys, thank goodness we're not there then but uh, it was a miserable time but then our minority leader uh named boehner kept using expressions like let's just keep feeding them rope and eventually they'll hang themselves uh figuratively speaking and it just absolutely wasn't true as i got up in conference once and said look you keep saying we need to feed them rope and they'll hang themselves they're using it to hog tie us it's time we stand up Scott, what do you think we ought to be doing as we go into the minority next week? Well, Louie, thank you. And, of course, we, we wish we weren't in the minority, but there's a reason for all that. Uh, in the meantime, we have to be the loyal opposition, and maybe people don't understand that, but that means we've got to be loyal to our country, loyal to our bosses that elected us, uh, but opposed to the bad things that we know uh, the Democrats are going to try and implement and uh and force on the american people and i think one of the biggest thing we things we can do in this current circumstance like you said is like morgan said is sustain a presidential veto but the other thing we can do is go out and communicate about why this is important and when people say stuff like well you know this is wasted money walls don't work it's too expensive so on and so forth i know for pennsylvania which is about 12 and a half 13 million people we spend about a billion three a year on illegal immigration and hospitalization, education, incarceration, those type of things. If you take the the population of the United States, 320-some-odd million people, and divide oh, that look, by We're going to have to cut off now. But uh, y'all please come back, uh, Scott and Morgan. We'll be right back with Sean Hannity Show. Here, references to an immoral wall. We have heard wall demonized and yet I read yesterday that President Obama in his new house 
has constructed a 10-foot wall around his property. Now, either the walls work or they don't. And if we're going to have Democrats continue to say they don't work, then you need to stand up and say, Mr. Obama, tear down your wall. I yield back. All right, this is the Sean Hannity Show. This is Louis Gomer, and yes, that was me on the House floor. And in fact, on the debate over the spending bill that had the wall money in it, I, I heard one time too many uh, about an immoral wall, so I walked over to Rodney Freelandhuisen, who was managing the time on the spending bill. I said, Rodney, you got 30 seconds you could give me to address this. And he said, I'll give you two minutes. And no, I just need 30 seconds. But anyway, yeah. The hypocrisy of these people to have walls around their own property and then to say they don't work? Well, you need to tear down your wall. Now, I'm thrilled. I've got a a longtime friend that I've had uh, his maximum respect for as an economist and as an American. Of course, he um, had uh, been with the Wall Street Journal and uh, is now a Distinguished Visiting Fellow Project for Economic Growth at the Heritage Foundation. He uh, was an advisor to Donald Trump regarding the economy, and he's got a brand-new book out with his dear friend and mine, Arthur Laffer, just another economic genius, um, called Trumponomics. Inside the America First Plan to Revive Our Economy. I love it. And uh, Stephen Moore, I am thrilled to have you on the Sean Hannity Show. Uh, Welcome. Hi, Congressman. Well, look, I didn't know you had a second profession, but you're doing a great job, and I love that <laughs> that, that uh, clip from the speech you gave on the on the House floor. I was I was laughing out loud when I heard you say that. That was well done. You know, my 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 mom, who was a very wise woman, used to say, you know, the old saying that uh, big walls make good neighbors. Yeah, yeah. Well, and actually, uh, Robert Frost had that similar sentiment. Yep. Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, and there is something to that. And, you know, yeah, sure is. being the economic guru you are and, and anytime you and Laffer co- uh, collaborate on anything, it sure gets my <laughs> attention because you guys are just wonderful. Uh, and by the way, uh, I don't know if I ever told by you, way, but you know, I got to tell you. Uh, we, our laughter and I had so much fun writing this book because, you know, we just had a great time working with Donald Trump. And this is a guy, people always ask me, well, you know, there were so many great people running for president, you know, the Republican side, you know, including, uh, your, your fellow Texan Ted Cruz and right. Jeb Bush and, you know, uh, just, you know, uh, all of these great, great people running to Ben Carson and so on. And people say, you know, why did you, why did you guys get behind, uh, Donald Trump so early? Because it was very controversial when we backed. Yep. Trump and and it's because two reasons. One is he just had the look of a winner. You know that guy's just yep. a winner. Okay. And number one and number two, you know he understands economics in a in a in a. He's got the kind of New York street smarts that you need to 
to uh, understand how the world works that, you know, with no disrespect to you, you're one of my best friends now of Congress. Sometimes the politicians don't really understand how yeah. the real world works. Well, and, and I love this businessman yeah. mentality to Washington. That's what Trumponomics is. It's bringing business sensibilities to Washington. And when you do that, boy, does it work. Yes. And, and this is a guy that knows how to negotiate as well. And it has driven me crazy over the years to have Republicans just roll over and and get such bad deals. And I was told by a uh, U.S. trade rep at the time that, look, you know, you got to understand that we're the biggest economy in the world so that when we negotiate a deal that's better for another country than it is ours, since we're the biggest economy, in the end, it actually inures more to our benefit than anybody else. And I'm going, no, if it's a bad deal for us, it's a bad deal for us. And I couldn't understand that mentality. And that's as smart as you and Laffer are. Um, I mean, you get it. And this president knows how to negotiate. And, you know, I've never been a big fan of tariffs, but every time I hear him mention tariffs, it's clear what it is, a bargaining chip. And he says, now, we're going to do this tariff. But now, of course, if you work out a deal with us, then we don't have to do the tariffs. And so even though I've never been a big tariff uh, fan, uh, it just is great to have a president that knows how to negotiate. It's wonderful. And by the way, one of the biggest compliments I've ever had is when you told me, uh, Louis, I quote you, uh, and and I don't always give you (laughs) Yeah. I know what you're going to say. I'll say it before you do. All I'll right. say it before you do. Uh, that I want to make sure I get this right. That uh, that the corporate income tax in America is a tariff on our own goods and services. That's it. It is. It's and a- I. Well, the reason it's so funny that when you say that is when Larry Kudlow and I and our laugher sat down for the first time with Donald Trump, which was about three years ago, and we showed him this chart that showed, look, you know, Donald. We called him Donald back then. We now call him Mr. President. <laughs> right. You know, we. You know. Oh, you've seen that chart. Mm-hmm. We, sure. we were at forty uh, percent, and the rest of the world's at twenty percent. You know, and you called it twenty percent. I, I also called it twenty percent Head Start program for every country we compete with. <laughs> it and, is. Yeah. You know, we showed that to Trump, and he got it instantly. But especially when I said this is like a tariff on our own services, yeah, he got that instantly. But he he taught me one thing. You know, I'm supposed to be the economist who understands this stuff. He's the businessman. But I remember. You know, when when he was talking about trade and Larry and I said, well, we can't work for you because we're for trade, free trade. He said, he said, look, I'm a free trade person, too, but it's got to be fair. It's got to be a level playing mm-hmm. field. And he said, go look at the evidence. And I, I actually started looking at the numbers. And that man taught me something, which is, you know this now, I think, too. All these other countries that we have trade deals with, they have much higher tariffs than we do. Yeah. Wait a minute. I thought I yeah. thought we had a level playing field. There's no level playing field out there. Yeah, exactly. And then we do these trade deals. And yes, they take some of our products. But uh, before Trump, it was never completely fair to the United States. Uh, We were opening more to their products than they were to ours. It just it didn't make sense. So I love having you know what we say. Yeah, the last line of virtually the last line of our book is wouldn't it be ironic that if this president who everybody says is a trade protectionist and i think this is going to turn out to be true i'm going to say it uh uh you know uh, to you on this show in front of your uh you know, 15 million, million yeah. 
that I believe, <laughs> excuse me, I believe that Donald Trump is going to win on trade, and we are going to end up with freer trade, mm-hmm. not not you know more trade restrictions, freer trades because these other countries are going to open up their markets to us, and we will have a level playing field with lower tariffs, mm-hmm. which is what Steve Forbes wants, what Steve Moore wants, what Larry Kudlow wants, what Art Laffer wants, what uh, what you want, and what Donald yep. Trump wants. Sure. We just want we want a you know a fair game, and it's not you know remember Trump used to say the rest of the world laughing behind our back, mm-hmm. and they were laughing at us, but sure. they're not laughing at us anymore. Well, and and you look at uh, these climate accords, you know, you hear people from other countries say. This simply will not work unless the United States is a party. And I'm going, yeah, it doesn't work because we're the only ones going to pay everybody else. How smart is that? Well, well so you know, tell us what mind, you mean. By ma- the way, on this is that uh, you know this one, but I bet a lot of your listeners don't because nobody in the media really reports it. Do you know what country, Louis, last year of all the industrialized countries lowered its carbon emissions the most? I do, and it is astounding for those who just watch CNN or MSNBC. Please tell them. United States of America. Yep. We've done it. How could that happen? Wait a minute. We're not part of the Kyoto <laughs> Treaty. We're not part of all these stupid treaties. We don't have a cap and trade system because it's what's going on in Texas with your shale oil and gas revolution. Sure, but we're doing it cleanly, and that's what people can't get. They just don't understand. But on the other hand, if you're a country with a struggling economy, then the last place you put a priority is on the environment. Here in the United States, we want clean air, we want clean water, we want things clean. And if the economy is going strongly enough, then we can spend money doing that. But what do you when you use that? You and uh, Arthur Laffer use the title Trumponomics. Uh, can you give us a shorthand definition of that? Yeah, it's basically bringing business principles, putting America first, American businesses first, American workers first, uh, and and making sure that everything that we do in Washington is oriented towards making America number one. And gee, what a concept that we should put our interests above the interests of France or Canada or Australia or China or India. But that's what a president should do, and he does it in every decision he makes. And I've got to tell you, uh, Louis, I did spend a good bit of time with him during the campaign. Yep. Every time we would suggest a policy to him, you know, whether on regulation or taxes or under, he'd always say, how will this affect working class Americans? This is, and he'd always say, look, the rich can take care of themselves. I want to make sure these policies are helping working class Americans. And by the way, I just finished my latest column. This 2018 was the year of the American worker. American workers mm-hmm. have the best, uh, we have the best job market today we've had in 50 years. It, it's incredible. And he's supposed to be this mean, callous guy that could care less about it. But I mean, I saw him in the Oval Office with the uh, daughter of of uh, one of my deceased constituents, Carrie, we we passed Carrie's law that just says you got you you if you have a multi line phone, you cannot require any um, numbers preceding nine one one. And this little girl had tried to call nine one one, and and never could get through because she didn't know you had to have uh, a seven before it. So we got that done, and the president was so sweet to this little girl, just absolutely precious. People haven't seen that, but he's like a, a, a father that has had daughters, you know. And anyway, they don't see that side of him. But, um, heck, I mentioned, you know, I'd supported Ted 
uh, in the um, primary, I um, endorsed him way early when it, things just got going. I'd worked with him, knew him. But in September 2016, in a one-on-one with uh, now President Trump, I'd said, uh, you know, I know it historically, but the presidents that were said to have been the smartest, the best, all this kind of stuff, they didn't do well. And I ran through, you know, the, and I <laughs> said, true. if you look at the ones that were were said to have been crazy, whether Teddy Roosevelt, oh, my gosh, he's sending all these Navy ships around. What's he going to do next? And I said, you go back to Saturday Night Live when Ronald Reagan was president. They have him walking around with his finger out going, uh, where's the red button? I, I want to launch some, some missiles. And I said, it absolutely helps if people in other countries with whom you negotiate think you're a little crazy. He said, well, they say I'm a little I'm very crazy. I said, that's why I think you've got a chance to be one of the best presidents we've ever had when it comes to foreign diplomacy. And it it really does make a difference in these deals he's doing. He's getting good deals for America. Well, I agree with all of that. I, I saw those kinds of um, instances, too, where the way he treats people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, I, I always say, you know, most politicians are wonderful people in, in public and jerks in private. Not you, but most. Sure, sure. <laughs> Donald Trump is the, you know, sometimes he can be a jerk in public, and in, the, yeah. in private, he is the sweetest person you ever meet. He, he is he's generous. Yep. He is he is charming. He's attentive. He couldn't be nicer. I mean, I, you know, I walked after that first meeting with him for an hour, because I went into that meeting. We talk about this in the book, and the first chapter is called Meeting Trump. And Larry and I walked into that meeting with him back in late 2015, very skeptical. I had a negative impression yeah. of Donald Trump when I walked in that room. And after spending an hour with him, I'm like, oh, my God, I have stars <laughs> in my eyes. I said, this guy is the most amazing uh, communicator. And, you know, the only other person I really met in my lifetime who had that effect on me was Ronald Reagan. Yep. Seriously. Well, that's high praise. Well, look, we got to take a break. Uh, hang on with us, Stephen Moore, and we and the Sean Hannity Show will be right back. I'm Louis Gomert. This is the Sean Hannity Show. Louis Gomert sitting in with my dear friend Stephen Moore. Steve, we just have a minute left, but listen, if we put a wall where we need it, we totally secure the border as the president wants mm-hmm. to do. What happens to the Mexico economy that's so overridden with drug cartel corruption now? It causes it helps the economy of Mexico and the United States. I am very pro-immigrant, but immigrants have to come into this country legally, lawfully. And I used to tell Donald Trump, build the build the wall, make sure it has gates so people come in legally. We can't reform our immigration system, which hasn't been reformed in thirty years, until we get the border secure. It's so obvious. That is so true. I mean, they're talking about amnesty, and yet the border patrolmen say. Every time you guys even mention an amnesty, legalization, it just sucks people in. And I mentioned earlier in the show, that makes it kind of like an attractive nuisance where you don't put up a fence around the pool and kid falls in. You're liable. You pay them. So um, it seems like the best thing we could do for Mexico, doesn't it? It does. I mean, we want, you know, I'm all in favor of open trade and, and, and migration back and forth, but it has to be lawful. We have to regulate. We have to know who's coming so we know that it's not criminals yep. and terrorists and drug runners into our country. We'll be right back. Sean Hannity Show. This is the Sean Hannity Show. This is Louis Gomert sitting in for my dear friend, Sean. 
And uh, I tell you, in the first hour, I'd quoted uh, John Adams when he was president of the United States, 1797, saying that, uh, you know, this Constitution was intended for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. And Adams, uh, as a believer, he uh, felt like the best thing, the best uh, uh chance for America's future was to be biblically based. And it is such a treat for me to have our next guest on. Um, I just think the world of him. Back in the 80s, my wife and I were uh, directors of a college department teaching in a college Sunday school department. And uh, some of the college students said, hey, you got to hear this guy and gave what back then was just a cassette tape. And it was Stephen Curtis Chapman. I'm going, I love this guy. I love his music. He writes my heart. He sings my heart. And uh, then I guess uh, March of 2017, he came out with a book, uh, Between Heaven and the Real World. And he's had songs that reflect that, but uh, especially Heaven in the Real World. And I was slow. I didn't get the words enough, but I recently read that and just uh, really thrilled to have on the Sean Hannity show Stephen Curtis Chapman, the most awarded Christian. And I know he, it makes him feel like he's violating the humility requirements, but uh, he is the most awarded <laughs> artist in Christian music history, 58 Gospel Music Association Dove Awards, five Grammys, American Music Award, 48 number one singles. Uh, selling over 11 million I'll, I'll go on and on but just because it makes him uncomfortable i'll stop there but but uh, steven <laughs> welcome to the sean Eddy show it is such a treat to have you on and thank you for all you do for really the uh, soul of america uh, you you uh, you are quite the minister and you do write and sing the hearts of so many americans it's great having you on. I think Mary Beth, your wife, is on with us, and she is uh, a New York Times best-selling author, uh, choosing to see uh, all three letters of C capitalized. She's speaker, wife of Stephen mm-hmm. Curtis Chapman. But uh, boy, Stephen, when you wrote the book, uh, you know, some people write a book so they can leave out the the problem parts. Man, you got yeah. you you put it all in there. You you just went all out. And Mary Beth, uh, I, I know Kathy. If I tried to write all of that, she'd go, "No, you're leaving that out." Uh, yeah. But uh, it's all there. It's just who you are. You're totally upfront, and I would totally recommend. Uh, what an incredible testimonial that you've walked. Mm-hmm. I mean, you walk the walk, and and uh, you don't just talk mm-hmm. it. You walk it. So, welcome. Wow. Louie, thank you, brother. You know how much I, I and the old Chapman clan love and appreciate you oh, well. uh, and your friendship through the years and your leadership. And Well, and let me tell thankful. the people listening, uh, I've never talked to Stephen or Mary Beth or Emily about politics ever. Um, right. You know, they're brothers yeah. and sisters, and I have no idea how they've ever voted. I just know... Uh, what an impact for good that they are on America. And, man, it sounds like you guys have had uh, an incredible year. Mary Beth, you, uh, I was reading your blog post about the year. Uh, it was yeah. an incredible year. I'm um, um, extremely blessed is the word. I just have an incredible family. God's been gracious to us through the, through the good and the incredibly difficult seasons that our family have had. And reflecting back on this past year, 
um, couldn't be more a more proud uh, wife, mother, and now Grammy uh, to six beautiful yes. grandbabies. And um, yes, God just continues to make new things in the Chapman family, and so I'm very, very, um, very blessed. Well, Stephen, you still got uh, a whole lot of uh, concerts under your SCC solo tour. Uh, this yeah. is you without Caleb, without Will, uh, without <laughs> Jillian. Right. This is just Stephen himself. That's right. Well, we I started this, and, and you mentioned the book, and, and I will just real quickly say no, this about it. I, I have had a lot of folks you know, say that they have appreciated the just the candor and the honesty, and and really, you mentioned Mary Beth's book, which is which I'm I'm going to go on record is far far better is the the better book by far. But um, but she is a, it really was a, a beautiful and honest story that she told of her life and her journey and 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 her you know just perspective of even of course the many people know of you know the ten years ago our loss of our youngest daughter and then. But but her whole story and and people were so impacted by her honesty and I've heard that over and over again in my concerts and so as I sat down to tell my story uh, in the book you mentioned between heaven and the real world one of my real commitments was there was two H words I felt like that I just I stuck up at the top of every page it was honor and honesty and I felt like I, I want to honor all the people that God has put in my life ultimately honoring God who has been writing the story of my life from the beginning. But also, I really want to be honest because I know the impact that that has. Uh, I believe in my life, I look at the the stories that have impacted my life the most, even in Scripture, are are the stories of, you know, the honesty. You know, I'm so glad God, as I often say, didn't edit out a lot of the parts of the stories (laughs) that we probably wanted to edit out of, you know, King David's life. If I had been King David, I would have only wanted the the Goliath killing stories in there or whatever, you know, but, but those have encouraged me. And so thank you for just your encouragement about my, my story. And that sort of led into me deciding to do this solo tour. I've been remembering a lot over the last few years in writing my, my story and telling my story in my book. And, and there's just a powerful thing that happens when we remember it's important. It's powerful. Um, and, and, uh, it keeps us, I think, grateful. It keeps us humble because we remember where we've come from, but, uh, it especially keeps, keeps me hopeful because I, I remember not only where I've come from, but where as a believer, where I believe and our family is held on to the belief of where this story is going ultimately. And that's where we find the hope that, you know, has fueled my songs all these years, has fueled the work that we do as a family in the, in the work, you know, that we do through Show Hope, an organization that my wife and I started about 16 years ago now. And by God's grace and the support of so many thousands of people now, we've been able to to be a part of miraculous stories of, of seeing thousands of children without families come into families and have a home and do some amazing work that we never could have even imagined when we started this 17, 18 years ago when we adopted our first of our three adopted daughters so it's just been an amazing journey, and it's, it's been exciting to still get to, you know, strum my guitar and write mm. some songs and tell my story, and now watch the story and the baton being handed off, you know, even to our daughter Emily, you know, who you mentioned. She yes. Was with us well, well, and, and you know, you, you mentioned in the book, I mean, Emily's a little girl, and she's, that, 
it's amazing. She's telling you she wants you to adopt. That's mm-hmm. got to be pretty uh-huh. extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. It's a, this past year has, has really been um, a full circle moment for us. You know, Emily at 11 years old going on a trip to Haiti with her mom, coming back and just feeling this deep conviction that mm-hmm. there are children not only around the world, but even here domestically in the U.S. that, you know, are, are going to sleep without families. And so for her to have this deep conviction and, and for it to come to, you know, fruition that we would then adopt our beautiful daughters from China, she would go on to become a Baylor Bear. I'll mention that. Yes, a Baylor alone. Go to school and, and get a great education, move off to Ireland, get her, her master's in theology, come back, have... She got married, has her beautiful little family, and then this past year we were um, in the middle of the strategic plan for Show Hope, and God just made it really clear that now is the time to kind of have her step into the leadership. We had an amazing um, executive director before her that really mentored her, and then, um, you know, just this past December the, the baton was passed to her. And so for me to see that full circle moment come that here is this 11-year-old little girl who really God planted this in her heart, and now to see um, some over 6,200 children be affected amazing. through the work of Show Hope wow. and be adopted into families. It's just an amazing, amazing moment for me. And she's she's the way better version of me, I'll tell you that. God, <laughs> God's been gracious to give me a beautiful daughter. Well, yes, but, uh, of course, uh, Jeff Foxworthy, that great uh, Christian philosopher, <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but he said, you know, when his wife got pregnant, he said he woke up sweating because he realized you can't, as he said, combine stagnant pond water and raw sewage and get avian water. You know, those, <laughs> those genes come together from somewhere and uh, you just see it in all three of your children. But um, uh, is Emily on? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Well, Hi, Louie. Hey, Emily. Doing well. But it was amazing. Just three days ago, uh, Kathy and I were talking to a couple, and they said, all oh, these best friends of ours, they're trying to adopt from China, and they're just having all this trouble because it would be the second adopted child. And I said, if they approach Show Hope, uh, and mm-hmm. because that's what you've done. And as you've said, I didn't realize it was over 6,000 adopted children that you've helped uh, yeah. uh, have happen it's just amazing and of course uh, the song and you mentioned it in your book but uh, it, you know it it just uh, I've never seen a group ever not move to tears when they hear your song and your words oh and by the way I was shocked in your book when you said you know, you just didn't have a good voice. Now, I knew Herbie had a good voice, and I was so glad you had him in, in the album with and your dad in Deep Roots. Oh, yeah. And by the way, yeah. I, I've made you a lot of enemies in my neighborhood because I normally have that Deep Roots album playing really loud when I'm working in the backyard, <laughs> and I think people <laughs> in my neighborhood are sick of you, Stephen. Sorry about that, oh. but, but I just That's love right. that. It's so uplifting. And and you're saying that is you going back to your roots, you know, the Paducah, mm-hmm. Kentucky kid, uh, with yep. all that, and your dad, and uh, your how your dad had actually given up uh, a music career to uh, uh, actually raise a family, and then for you yep. to have been instrumental and made it happen, 
course, Ricky Skaggs, uh, and he's on one of your songs on the Deep Roots album. I love that. You yeah. and Ricky sound yeah. really good together, but I was blown away when you said, well, you didn't sound good, and then Herbie was the better singer, and then he encouraged you when you had your shot. Guys, that that's a loving family. That's really amazing. Mm. Well, yeah. you're, you're a great example for Americans, and that, that's... There's a lot of struggling. There's a lot of uh, broken hearts around this country, and your walking testimonial. I never thought I'd see somebody say, as was said recently, uh, they ought to outlaw the words, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Whoa, this is getting serious. When you are just walking testimonials of the good that's in America. Well, Well, what can people do if they want to get involved and help out uh, with show hope, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, take, take I, yeah we would love, <laughs> we would love for for anybody just to become part of the show hope story and family. Um, you can go to our website www.showhope.org and find out ways um, to donate there. We also have uh, care centers in China where we care for about a little over two hundred um, orphans that have medical. Uh, needs, and so we're able to offer care there, and there's ways to gather supplies to send to the care centers mm. and, and, and stuff like that that can all be found out on our website. Um, and then we just love for people to get connected with the Show Hope story and follow follow along some of the um, journeys that these families are on and, and some of the kiddos that are coming home, like Mom mentioned, 60, 6,200 kids from uh, that we've been able to help through Show Hope Adoption Aid Grants, and that represents over 60 countries, including many children here in the United States, that we've been able to help um, sort of reduce that financial barrier that often stands between waiting children and, and prospective adoptive families. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's all, yeah, well, we got to take a hard part. break right here, but if y'all just hang on, we'll be right back with more of the Sean Hannity Show. We're talking to Stephen Curtis, Mary Beth, and Emily Chapman. Uh, of course, Emily Richards. We'll be right back. This is the Sean Hannity Show. We're visiting with Stephen Curtis Chapman, his wife, Mary Beth, daughter Emily, and uh, we're short on time left, but you guys are such a blessing to so many. Um, Hey, in tough times, where would you direct America other than showhope.org? That's a good one. And marybethchapman.com blog. Yes, What do you think, Stephen? Well, you know what? We have found in our journey as a family and many, so many of you listening, I know, even have prayed for our family uh, in our journey together, particularly the the journey of losing our little girl about 10 years ago. and, And we are a family who has lived and continue to live the reality that the only place where there is hope and light and uh, and purpose and peace uh, is in our trust, our faith in God's love, God's grace. And, uh, and that's obviously we've celebrated that at Christmas. We're thankful uh, that we get to celebrate that God is with us and we are living proof of that. And we hope maybe our work with Show Hope, my songs, Mary Beth's, uh, work at Show Hope and, and her book and whatever we can say will encourage people to know that uh, God is good and He's with us and He's faithful. And there is a new album coming. I can't wait. Yes, sir. I can't <laughs> wait. I'm going to give you some more of that music that you can All enjoy right. The neighbors My neighbors with. are going to hate that you even more. Music. That's right. <laughs> well, so that's, uh, thank you so much for the blessing you are. Uh, people needed to hear that. This is the Sean Hannity Show. We'll be right back with some other great guests. 
Come back with us. This is the Sean Hannity Show. This is Louis Gomert sitting in for my beloved brother by another mother, Sean Hannity. Just love the guy. What an asset to America he is. And and the more you know him, and especially as well as I know him, the more you just love the guy. Um, so we have a, an amazing guest, and most of you are familiar with Hobby Lobby, Uh he is the CEO of Hobby Lobby and helped grow his family business to more than 800 stores in 47 states, approximately 32,000 employees. Um, and of course, they feel so strongly uh, about their faith that uh, they were willing to take a case where the government was trying to discriminate based upon their Christian beliefs and took it to the Supreme Court. And then out of all that, uh, he and the family become inspired. We ought to have a museum to the Bible. And as I understand it, there's not one totally dedicated to the Bible. This was a dream. It was a vision. And now in Washington, D.C., the Museum of the Bible has been going for just over a year. It's uh, extraordinary. And it, it, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or Orthodox Jew, you don't have to be either one of those to really appreciate this. Now, if you are either one of those, you're really going to appreciate. But uh, we have with uh, Steve Green. Steve Green, welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. And I'm delighted to, to have you on to talk about, of course, Hobby Lobby. People are saying, you know, if there were just a Hobby Lobby around New York, it would do so well. There's not one around here. But uh, that's for another day. Today, tell us about how the Museum of the Bible's first year has gone. Well, it's great to to be with you, and uh, thanks for having me on. The Museum of the Bible has gone exceedingly well for our first year. There's always uh, things you would love to see done better, but uh, for the most part, with having uh, a millionth visitor having come to the museum, uh, it's it's done extremely well. Uh, we love a lot of the comments that we're getting uh, exceeded our expectation. Uh, it's it's been you know the favorite of our family as they've come and they've toured DC. So uh, really getting some great responses and uh, it, it's exciting to see the visitor come and enjoy the experience there uh, at the museum. Well, it, I, you know I've read studied the Bible my whole life, and I was blown away with what you have there. And, of course, there's one area uh, where, of course, most people know the Vatican has had more biblical treasures than just about anybody other than Israel itself. And yet somehow you made a deal with the Vatican. They have an area where they provide the exhibits. Isn't that the case? Uh, that is, and and what's unique about the museum is that it really is a collaborative effort. Um, there are items within the museum that uh, you know fr- from our own collection, but there's over forty individuals and institutions that have have items uh, on display within the museum. Uh, have traveling exhibits that will come and go as well. But the Vatican being uh, one of those, as we uh, had a temporary exhibit at the Vatican. Uh, back in 2014, and again in uh, well, 2012. And that was before you had the museum, even. Uh, that was before the museum. That's right, and uh, and then the the Israel Antiquity Authority as well has space within the museum. They 
Uh, anything that's uh, dug up in Israel is owned by the Israel Antiquity Authority. They've got over two million artifacts in their muse- in their warehouses. So we have a opportunity the first time out of Israel. This is the first time out of Rome for the Vatican that items uh, have been on permanent display uh, in in a museum. And so we're really excited about. Uh, the collaborative effort of people coming together, people that love this book, that may have different faith traditions, but uh, we're setting aside our differences for a moment and saying, here's a book that that we all love, and, and let's come together and celebrate it. It, it, it. There is no book that even comes close to being quoted a fraction as much as the Bible in the congressional record. But what made me think about you, Steve, is I had a dear friend that, that said, oh, he was excited he was going to come to Washington, wanted to hit the Smithsonian, and did I have any other recommendations? I said, you got to hit the Museum of the Bible. And he said, there's a Museum of the Bible? Going, oh, my, yes. And so then I thought, well, you know what, I'm uh, Sean, bless his soul, he's let me host his show. I need to get Steve on there to to tell people this is an extraordinary museum uh believer non-believer doesn't matter this is such an important place to visit and just the the property you got that that whole block that uh came available that you guys were able to you're part of uh basically the mall uh just a couple of blocks behind that was incredible yeah it it, it we really just feel like that uh uh, our faith caused us to believe that God had gone before us and that property became available. We had been looking for uh, for a while there in D.C., and, and this property uh, came up on the market. It's two blocks from the Air and Space Museum. There is a uh, metro stop that comes up in the block where the entrance is. So uh, a, a location of that size since uh, we were looking, I don't think has come up since we acquired it. So uh, it really was a special location, and uh, we were very excited that we were able to, to find one that close to the mall. Well, and and I know and appreciate your faith, um, but I also love what uh, a preacher in Denton, Texas said. He says, just because God's in control doesn't mean he wants us to lean on our shovel and pray for all. <laughs> and uh, the Green family has used all the uh, instruments that with which they've been blessed and has really made a difference. And I just want to thank you for that and encourage people, check out the Museum of the Bible. It's something you'll never, ever forget. Uh, Is there a website people can go see to prepare for their visit? They can. It's simply just museumofthebible.org and get uh, information there, get tickets to to get into the museum. And, uh, we, we, you know, we... We engage some of the leading design firms around the country to help yeah. us build this out. So. Oh, it's an incredible building. Just incredible what you've yeah. done. And you knocked out every other floor so that there's plenty of room. You don't feel squished. And it's just uh, really the sky's the limit. Amazing yeah. place. Yeah. Well, Steve, I just had to get you on just so that anybody out there who was not aware uh, the 15 million or so listening, you got to know this is a place to visit. You will be sorely affected for the good. And even though you may go once or twice, exhibits change constantly. You can't go too many times and learn something new every time. So Steve Green, 
of Hobby Lobby, and you're chairman, actually, of the board of the Museum of the Bible. That's Thank right. you for what you've done. Thanks for your faithfulness. You're, you're just a, an incredible walking uh, monument to what we're supposed to be. So thank you so much, Steve. You bet. Thank you, Louie, and you keep up the great work yourself. <laughs> we sure try. Well, thank you, and folks, we will be right back. This is the Sean Hannity Show, and I'm Louis Gomert. Lucky to be sitting in for my dear friend Sean. We'll be right back. This is the Sean Hannity Show. I'm Louis Gomert sitting in for my friend Sean, and we have, and I'm not kidding, it sounds like something might be made up, but uh, a friend calling from the jungles of Burma, or Myanmar, but uh he is an amazing guy, and I'd heard about him as the son of uh, missionaries to Thailand and uh, then found out, wow, he went to Texas A&M like I did. Wow, he had an Army commitment like I did. Oh, he went to the Army like I did, except uh, he went Special Forces route and ended up, uh, after he served his Army, he had such a heart for people that are oppressed he and his wife and his young children went to the uh, uh, jungles to of Burma to help those who were being oppressed. They're especially the Christians just brutalized. And uh, he not only brought the gospel to the area, he taught the villagers and is continues to teach them how to defend themselves from the military that would come in and burn their crops every fall or just devastate the uh, women and children and, and pull men apart. It just the horrific suffering that was instigated. He taught them to defend themselves. And so when I met him, turns out uh, he and I were both in the Corps of Cadets, and, and he was uh, some years after me but uh, was a commander of the same uh, brigade that I had been. It was amazing. Uh, yet he went and made something of himself, really making a difference in the world. Uh, so for the, let me warn you, he's got, talking on a satellite phone from, from the jungles of Burma. Dave Eubank, are you there? Yes, sir. God bless you, Louie. Everybody well, who's listening. Well, there are millions listening. You have gotten a front seat view and not just a seat. You've been actively involved trying to help Christians protect themselves as uh, as well as other tribal groups that are being oppressed, whether it's Kurds or other. Uh, you were asked to come help uh, in Syria to try to strategize. But uh, I, I was very concerned, and you can tell us firsthand, uh, firsthand what what are you seeing happen to Christians? We know that we're, the U.S. is helping a tremendous number of uh um, Muslim refugees, we care about people in the world, but uh, we're seeing that such a smaller percentage of Christians than are located are actually getting help from the U.N. or the U.S. What are you seeing happening, Dave? Well, sir, thanks. And you know, when you first started talking, I just thought of what Jesus said in Luke four eighteen that among many things, he came to set the Catholic free, to free the oppressed. And we are working with Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, animists. We work with everybody and try to help them. Mm-hmm. In terms of Christians, I see great oppression. You know, where we are here in Burma, actually the first place American missionaries ever went 
in the 1800s, Adonim and Ann Judson. And the first believers were, were Germans and then ethnic minorities. And many of the ethnic minorities, especially the Karen and the Kachin, who later became our allies in World War II, many of them became Christians. And they've been persecuted. The longest civil war in the world is right now. Seventy years of civil war in Burma. I'm right in the middle of it right now. And so I, I see greater oppression here against um, the tribal people and the Christians, because they ascribe to the highest God. And they don't, they follow rules and laws, but they don't bow down to dictators. So that's what I see here in, in Kurdistan and Iraq, where we also take teams. Most, almost all the Christians had to flee the men of the plains. Of course, they had to flee multiple. They were killed or chased out mm. by ISIS. And now it's difficult even to get back in. And then in Syria, the same thing. I was just in a destroyed church that Christians used to live in. Nobody's there in this village. I was at near a place called South Palmer, and all the Christians left. Some Christians are still in Syria, but now they face not only the remnants of ISIS that's still in Syria, but now the Turks are getting ready to invade Syria if the U.S. pulls out. So whether it's in Burma or in Iraq or Syria, I see um, great persecution against Christians, and I'm just grateful for you, Louis, and for people who pray for these people and also stand with them. Well, and Tom Garrett just had been over there with you, and, uh, you know, Dana Rohrbacher, Steve King, and I have uh, tried to help. But if somebody wants to help you in what you're doing, what should they do? Well, first, sir, I think we pray, because God knows best how each of us can respond. I think, second, um, support people like Louie. And Dana Rohrbacher and Tom Garrett, who's another one of my heroes, who's carrying with us. And then if they want to go to our website, it's org. Then they can see what we do, and they can see if they want to help us help people here. Well, well, thank you. We're a little short on time, but I just appreciate it. I know it's the middle of the night over in the jungles of Burma, Dave, but you're an inspiration, and you put uh, all your effort and your family. Uh, and by the way, folks, don't think there's this. What he's doing doesn't come without cost, human cost. Uh, under constant threat, uh, the Burma government would like to see him dead. Uh, his precious wife and children uh, are testimonials to the people there. We really do care, and we're trying to help you. Dave, you've made a difference. You make me proud as an American, and I hope people will will visit your website and uh, see what they can do to help. But in the meantime, folks, this is uh, Louis Gomert. I am honored to have a friend like Dave Eubank, even though there's some at the State Department that think he's crazy. Well, you know, so was Jesus. They, he was said to be crazy, and yet he was the wisest. But, uh, folks... This country's in trouble, but Sean Hannity is helping, and you can help to care about what is going on around you. Uh, don't just lean on your shovel and pray for a hole. Let's get in. Let's make sure that we get people in office that care about the country, but more than anything, care about keeping their words. You come back. This is a Sean Hannity Show. Louis Gomert, honored to be sitting in. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. 
Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials, and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest toothpaste, secret deodorant, Old Spice deodorant, or Gillette razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. Hey, Sean Hannity here, and there's so much happening around our country. Crimes happening in your own backyard. Listen to the story of Bob Brayton. Now, Bob was at home when an intruder physically forced his way inside. Now, luckily, Bob was able to grab his burner, and he used it to backpedal the man right outside and off of his property. Now, it's legal in all 50 states. No background checks required. They ship it right to your door. Go to burner, B-Y-R-N-A dot com slash Hannity. And if you do that now, you get an exclusive 10% discount. Imagine a society with a digital dollar and no cash, where every penny you have could all be tracked. That's why thousands of Americans have decided to opt out of the government's plans by talking to GoldCo and putting a portion of their savings into physical gold and silver. Right now, they're offering up to $10,000 in bonus silver while supplies last. Go to HannityGold.com to learn how you could get started today. That's HannityGold.com.